You're listening to a message from Oaks Church, Brooklyn. Our longing is to see heaven come to earth in our city. For more information on our church and community, please visit oaksbk.church. Morning, church. Teaching text today is from Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but those who delight, whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates in the law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do, prosperous. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff, they that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. This is the word of the Lord. Hi, church. Oh, we are awake. I love it. It's so good to see you today. Um, if we haven't met, I'm Lindsay. I'm one of the elders here, and it's just, <laughs> uh, it is my joy and my delight. Um, and it's so good to just be with you today, this morning. Um, <clears throat> if you were here the last time I preached and you are curious about Kibo, um, when we last spoke, he knew two words, pizza and toilets. Um, one of the last things he said to me was, oh, Miss Lindsay, my mom loves Beyonce. I know all the words to this song. So he's doing great. <laughs> he's, he's doing awesome. Um, so uh, we have been in a series, if you've been tracking with us, on deconstructing renovation. And we're landing this series um, and where we've been guided by the wise voices of Patrick and Ryan and Carlos as we engage in some pretty uh, deep soul questions. Um, they showed us how we can yield to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives um, as we kind of bumbled through these experiences and received true peace from the Father. Uh, and then last week, Ryan led us so well in what it means to walk with a limp. And today, I just get to share my story of what that's looked, looked like in my life. Um, in January of 2019, I was in a living room in London. A few of us had gone to visit and um, people were praying for us and as we began to pray, um, this woman prays over me, and she says, you know, I believe God's going to restore color to your life, where life has gotten quite gray and black and white. God's going to restore color, um, because I can say that for a season, maybe about four or five years, death, I can say quite strongly, got too close. Death, I can say quite strongly, got too close, and no one in that room but me knew what she was talking about. But through her, God was speaking right to my heart. Uh, and it had got too close. And to borrow the language from this series, it left me with a big limp. So what I'm gonna tell you today is that story. Because last week, Ryan left us with the hope that as we limp, others will have the courage to limp along with us. And that our wounds can become a source for healing, a source of healing for others. And if that's true, then let's do it. 
And I want to share my story. I want to let you in. Um, So why don't we pray, and then we'll jump right in. (sighs) Father, thank you that you love us so much that you cannot keep away from your children, that there is almost a magnetic pull from your heart to our heart, and that no matter where we stray or where we go or if we wander, you pursue us with this love that we cannot deny. And so whatever people are coming in with this morning, wherever their journey has led them, my biggest prayer is that you would meet them with that love, with that, that passionate, rigorous, fatherly love. And that those of us who are walking with a limp would just join arm in arm and walk together as we experience your peace. So I invite you, come take over. Use this story. This is nothing of my own strength or will. You know as well as I do, I have nothing this morning. So Spirit, I rely on you. Would you come and would you speak? In Jesus' name, amen. I'm just having a little glare issue this morning. So if you pray for me as we um, begin, just pray that I can see the sermon. (laughs) That's important. Are you a born again? This was a question that a new friend had asked me when we were getting nails uh, done together about 10 years ago. Um, It was like an after school tradition. And I wasn't new to teaching, but I was new to this particular school. Um, For five years or so, I'd been teaching in the South Bronx. And now I was teaching at this kind of posh Upper East Side school, and the vibe was real different. And I was just desperately trying to fit in. Uh, everyone was young and hip and rich, and I was youngish. <laughs> um, and I just wanted to fit in. But what happens when you are desperate to fit in is you become kind of a chameleon of sorts. Um, my language began, began to get a little more colorful. Um, I would scour the sale, on sale, on sale racks at anthropology looking for something that I could wear so I kind of look like, a, look like these, these girls. And I tried out this new trend that was really taking hold called online dating and um, learned real fast that if you check the box Christian and even mandatory, that don't mean squat, as we would say, <laughs> where I'm from. Um, but I wasn't quite fitting in at those happy hours, and I really wanted stories of my own. So I just started kind of looking a lot like my friends at this new school. Now, I grew up in church, and there's not ever been a time I can say that I've not known Jesus. So I knew well the words of Paul in Romans when he says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what is God's will his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So I I knew this. Um, I knew our teaching text well. It was the first psalm that I'd memorized in college when this woman brought me under her wing and discipled me for years to come. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, his delight in the law of the Lord. I knew this. Don't conform, but be transformed. It was not my default. So our end-of-week tradition was to go to this place called Dashing Diva, which I think might still be around. I'm not really sure, but it was the the spot back then. Um, So on a Friday afternoon, you could get yourself a watered-down, kind of fake cosmopolitan and a subpar manicure for way too much money. But the seats were pink, and it was sparkly all around, and it was just a fun time. So that was our Friday night tradition. And um, when we were having our nails dry, you know, that under the fans, that's where you get to talk. 
Um, so my friend was asking me these questions and she was genuinely curious. She had no background in the faith. And as I'm telling her about my community, um, I, was a, I was a leader in the church. I'd actually helped plant some of the early Trinity Grace churches, um, which Oaks, Oaks Church grew out of. Um, so I'm telling her about, you know, kind of what my friends, you know, who my friends were and what my life was like. And all of a sudden she goes, oh, so you're a born again like a born again, like a noun. I'd never heard it. I don't know about you. I'd never heard it as a noun before, but it sounded awful. (laughs) And so I go, oh no, no. Well, really? Because when you talk, it sounds like, no, (laughs) no, 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 no. I'm I'm not that. Which by the way, if you're a believer right now in this room and you follow Jesus, we are totally born-agains, or whatever you want to call it. We so are, but oh, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not like that. Now, confession, I'd always really secretly judged Peter for denying Jesus during the crucifixion. I really judged him. I thought, how could you do that? Dude, you walked on water. Come on, Pete. Really? But when faced with a similar reality, it did not take me more than half a second to do the very same thing. I just wanted to fit in, and I knew really quickly that as soon as I said, yes, I am, it meant a lot of things that would kind of put me outside of the circle. But the problem with denial is that it can easily start to become your reality, or it became mine. I had to keep up with that lie, and before I knew it, my life was almost looking identical to my new friends. And I'll be really honest with you, it wasn't not fun. Um... The question started to come then, though, because as I'm, like, living this sort of double life, um, I started asking questions like, well, wait, why am I a Christian? I love Jesus, um, but if I wasn't born into my family who took me to church three times a week, every week, would I have actually chosen Jesus on my own? Like, is, is that my, is it my faith? In fact, I'd, I'd always in my adult life been a tiny bit, haunt, tiny bit haunted by the passage in 1 Peter, 1 Peter 3.15. I don't know if you know it. It says, but, receive, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you had. I was one of the most hopeful people you could meet. I, and I love Jesus with my whole heart, but I was always a little afraid that if anyone ever asked me, why do you have that hope that I wouldn't, ha- I, I wouldn't know exactly what to say? Is, is, like, what was my reason? Because I grew up in church? Because I was born into my particular family? Why did I love Jesus? Oh, I love Jesus because he first loved us. But wait, is that just a song I remember from children's church that's based off 1 John? We love him because he first loved us. We sing it every Sunday morning. Is that why I think I love Jesus? Was I conditioned? I was spiraling. Someone who loves Jesus, who's, who's been in church, I, my entire life, I was free-falling. I actually was looking at these people's lives thinking, well, but, but their lives aren't that bad. They're actually quite fun. And then I entered the free fall. And if you've been tracking with this series, that's a phrase we've been using. When, you're, when you start to deconstruct and you just fall, those questions led to this disillusionment and the very foundation where I stood was collapsing all around me. And I had no one to grab onto and I had nowhere to go. And I felt, I mean, I really feel like I was on a, 
like just teetering on this tiny little peak. There is, and I, like I said, there is no one to go to, nothing to grab onto as I'm falling because there was another shift that was happening concurrently. And that was that my church, the church that was like my foundation. I mean, I used to describe my church family as the ball pit at Chuck E. Cheese. It's like, they, they, I mean, this is love, this is love, right? But we had started to multiply as a church. So there were parishes all over the city. And so my friends were kind of scattered about, and that's important to know because it wasn't super obvious when I didn't go to church. So if I wasn't in Chelsea, well, maybe, maybe Lindsay's at the Upper West Side. Maybe she's at the Upper East Side. And it was all too easy to just kind of fade away. And that's what happened. I faded away. And before I knew it, Sundays, were, I just licked my fingers during COVID. I just washed them. Don't worry. <laughs> Woo, times are different. Um, and before I knew it, Sundays were for brunch dates because dates were fun. Brunch is fun. And sleeping in on an extra day for an extra day on a weekend is really fun. But here's the truth. And this is what I think always sort of, um, like, always sort of puzzled me is that there was no church trauma at that time. I hadn't been wounded. God hadn't done anything to me. I, and I, I love Jesus. I was a leader who helped plant these churches and then I just stopped going for four years. Now, if you wanna talk more about that, we can, we can sit uh, for coffee one day and I'll tell you some stories, but I'm gonna fast forward those four years. But to, to suffice it to say, it was four years of being pretty miserable in multiple jobs, four years of loneliness and no consistent community. Sure, I like tried to restart and restart and restart, but I, it, nothing ever stuck. I didn't know where to go. So then fast forward to four years later and I'm in my room. I'm actually roommates with the girl who had said, are you a born again? So we've become roommates. And one day she comes knocking on my door and she comes in with a bottle of antidepressants. And she said, do you see these? I take them. A lot of people take them. I think you need to look into it because I can no longer live with someone who is so miserable and angry all the time, who is lacking so much joy. Which hit me in one special way because up kind of in my previous life, people literally called me happy. And here she was saying, I cannot stand to be in your presence because you are so miserable. And so in my defense, I just cry out, but life is so hard, you don't understand. And she said, but you're a Christian. I thought Christians were supposed to have more to live for. And I've never been hit in the gut before or kicked in the gut, but I sure felt like all the air just leave me. I thought Christians were supposed to have more to live for. It was a jolt and a shock. Maybe it's that moment that Patrick and Carlos and Ryan were talking about at the bottom of that pit. Like when you follow the grief down, you hit rock bottom. There is a clarity that comes to you that like nothing else can bring. So um, not too long after that, I found myself on a trip to L.A. I love L.A. It's one place that I just feel like God um, really speaks to me and while I was there, I met up with an old roommate, a, a friend who is a, who's a believer and who's just like 
an amazing woman. And for two hours, she just poured encouragement into my heart, not even knowing that I really needed it. And I can't tell you what she said, and I don't even remember the the details, but I just remember leaving there and thinking, oh, I remember that feeling. I remember that feeling. Like there's a reason why in the Bible they say, "Don't, don't forsake meeting together. Don't forsake the assembly of believers. There's something to that. So I left there and I thought, oh, I remember that. And my heart was just awakened. My soul was awakened. She, the way that she poured it in was with such authority. My soul came alive again. So I did two things. Naturally, can we get the t-shirt slide up? Naturally, I did two things. I bought this shirt. And if you can't say it, it says, Jesus saves, bro, lest I deny him again. Right? So I bought this t-shirt immediately. <laughs> By the way, Definitely theologically misguided. That was unnecessary, right? But I just felt in my heart I needed to make sure that people knew I love Jesus. I will never deny you again. Jesus saves, bro. By the way, I've only worn it one time, and it was to an elders meeting, and even then it felt a little weird. Um, But I still have it. I love it. (laughs) So I bought, yeah, so I bought the T-shirt, and then I started, and the second thing was I started going back to church. But I should probably say I started limping back to church. Because if you've ever had to restart church, and some of you will know exactly what I mean. If you've ever had to restart church, it's one of the most vulnerable things you could possibly do. It felt like a spiritual walk of shame, and not just the first time I went, not just the second, but Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, because these people didn't really know what I had been doing for the last four years. And not only that, I was a stranger. And that came with a whole other load of, of humility because I'd been a leader in this church, and then now I was walking through these doors, and people were like, oh, hi, how long have you been at Trinity Grace? How do you answer that question? I had no idea. By the way, we really need better questions to ask new, new friends who come through the door. Um, a spiritual walk of shame. I actually felt like the lost son who um, a lot of people refer to as the prodigal son who after squandering everything realizes he too has to take the walk of shame to go back home. And I, it's a long passage, but I wanna read you a little bit of it if you're not familiar. Comes, this one comes, comes from Luke 15. And Jesus is telling the story. And this is important because Jesus is telling the story so we understand the heart of God. He says, there was a man who had two sons. The younger son said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. Just envision this. Just envision. You are desperate. You finally get a job, and your job is feeding pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. My granddaddy, yes, I'm from the South. My granddaddy had pigs, and you feed them slop, slop, and it looks exactly what it sounds like. 
So the fact that he's desperate to eat the food that was being fed to the pigs is, is unimaginable, but he was desperate. He would take anything. But no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have, have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out and I'll go back to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And so he got up and he went to the father. Now that's kind of where I was in this story here. Um, limp is a generous phrase, um, but I knew I needed to go back, but I was willing to take the table scraps. I mean, I, I didn't need much. I just needed to be back. I didn't feel worthy to worship. I had been such a worshiper. I love worshiping, but I could barely lift my head, let alone my hands, because shame had calcified in my soul so much that I could barely stand it. That's not the end of the son's story. It's not the end of my story. Luke 15 goes on to say, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Now the son said to the father, father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and fill it and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead, who was dead is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. So they began to celebrate. See, the problem is that we focus too much on our limp. We focus on too much, I mean, on who we are. And God says, no, 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 it is not about your nature. It's about mine. We just spent a whole teaching series on his nature. He's a healer. He's a restorer. He's not an angry father. You wanna know God's nature? Look at the father in the story. The son is bit, like wallowing, busy wallowing and apologizing. Father, I'm no longer worthy. And then he's interrupted. Go get the finest robe and put a ring on his finger. Let's have a party. My son is home. His nature is restoration. His, his nature is love. I want to give you another example. This one is a vision of Joshua the high priest, and it's particularly special to me. Because um, it's, it's actually the verse in my Bible app. So every time I open the Bible app, it's bookmarked to that. And it's right there staring me in the face. I actually tried to change it months ago and somehow it's defaulted back. I'm like, I'm just gonna leave it. Just gonna leave it. This is for me. Um, but it's also the verse that healed my limp once and for all. It was um, part of a sermon that was preached one of the very first Sundays um, that I was here at this church. So let me read it to you. Zechariah 3. Then he, sh so let me just set this up. So Zechariah is having a vision, right? You know how sometimes you daydream or you have a dream and you feel like you're actually in it? You're gonna see Zechariah actually insert himself into this vision, which is really important. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before, I hope I can get through this. Standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan, standing at his right side to accuse him. 
Can you envision that for a second? Here's Joshua, who's the high priest, and he's standing before the Lord, but Satan's right in his face, ready to accuse him of all that he's, all that he's done and everywhere he's been. The Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is, this not, is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. And then he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin and I will put fine garments on you. Then I, meaning Zechariah, then I said, so he comes out of the vision, he says, put a clean turban on his head. And so they put a clean turban on his head and they clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. The angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you walk in obedience to me and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house and you will have charge of my courts and I will give you a place among these standing here. Satan is there and Joshua probably thinks he's just about to read my mail. And instead of, of shaming Joshua, the angel of the Lord says, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. So you might be wearing rags like Joshua as the enemy's waiting at your side, ready to accuse you to bring you shame, or maybe you've talked yourself into settling for the leftovers from the table like the lost son. But even in your limping, I need you to know this. God needs you to know this, that it is not about your nature. It is about his. And he set you at the head of the table. He's wrapped a cloak around your shoulders, put a ring on your finger and a turban on your head. By the way, all, that could be a sermon all on its own, but what you need to know about all of those things is they mean royalty and belonging. Satan is the one being rebuked and shamed, not you. You are precious and royal to him with a seat at the table of a party he has thrown in your honor. And yeah, I know it doesn't make sense. You're walking with a limp out of probably hard season. I don't know where you are on that, in this process, but if that's you, it's really easy to be buried down in the shame, buried down in the doubt. Tim Keller actually says something like, doubt in the mind comes from, comes from pain in the heart. So if you're carrying that pain with you, it's really easy to be weighed down by the doubt but you have a father with a very different nature, one that doesn't make sense. And that's the kind of nature that can love you right out of a limp. Your true reality is royalty, not where you've been, not what you've done, not what you've left undone. He wants to place you at the head of the table in the seat of honor while he lavishes his restoring love on you. Remember, amen. Remember, he is our Jehovah Rapha the Lord, our healer, even in limps. He wants your healing and restoration more than you do. He cannot help himself. There's an author, Dan, uh, Dane Ortland, and he wrote, if you were in Christ, you have a friend who in your sorrow will never lob down a pep talk from heaven. He cannot bear to hold himself at a distance. Nothing can hold him back. His heart is too bound up with yours. His heart is already too bound up with yours. 
It's tempting to want to clean up our mess. I get that. I did it. That's why I had so many restarts to going back to church. Well, if I just, if I just do this. When I was preparing for this talk, I think I found three journals, and I always named them. And they were things like um, year of surrender, dot, dot, dot. On returning, dot, dot, dot. Again and again I tried, and I think I made it to page three and then gave up. It's tempting to want to clean up our mess before we come to him, strengthening that limp a little bit before coming to God. But Hebrews 4 gives us the reason why we don't need to do that. He already knows the limp well. God already knows. He's been there. Hebrews says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We can bring it to him. And during the series, we've been journeying through the Psalms, and we know that Asaph and David, they knew this too. The last couple of Sundays, we've been talking about Psalm 51 and how David um, felt as he wrote this after making an utter mess of everything possible in his life. We've read it again and again, created me a clean heart. He'd made a mess out of absolutely everything, but he didn't hide. He didn't stay away. He didn't, he didn't wait to clean up the mess because, you know, David's a man after God's own heart. And I think he is because David knew God's nature. Do you see a theme? David went to God. The son went home. We have to take our mess to the father. And if we take the scripture seriously, and I hope that we do, it's actually gonna turn out pretty well for us. But limps are healed in stages. Now, I know God can work in an instant, but I also know he can work um, through a process. For me, my limp was healed in stages. Um, First was through a talk, a little like side conversation with my friend Bill, who found me at at a party. And some of you know this, but it's worth telling again that um, during the season of being away, I actually attended this like 10-year anniversary party for my church, like in hopes of like restarting again and reconnecting. Um, and while I was bolting out the door because it was just too uncomfortable and too awkward, he, he grabs me and he stops me and he said, Lindsay, um, I, I just think God has a word for you. You have a knife in your, in your heart and you just keep, you just keep twisting the knife. Um, and the problem with that is that God wants to heal it but you have to take out the knife first. And I don't know if that can be today or tonight or next week, but you gotta take it out. And I was mine, I, I, I was blown away. The fact that it's like, whoa, you knew, you know. And you cannot, he could not take my, my guilt that I was pouring over myself. He couldn't take it. So much that he gave a word to a friend I hadn't seen in five or six years that crossed the room to tell me that. And the second was through Zechariah 3. Something broke on that day. When you understand that God wants to put a turban on your head, which represented royalty, that he doesn't, he's not, he's not busy rebuking you. He's rebuking the enemy who is rebuking you. He's putting the enemy in his place so that you can walk strongly without that limp. 
Now, I'd be lying to you if I said that once my limp was healed, it was never a problem. Because as Patrick said, I think a few weeks ago, um, that you know we can be healed, but there are still some consequences, right? There are still there are still memories, there are still things. So I'd be lying if I said that it was never any problem. Um, there's nothing that makes the enemy shudder than seeing what was dead come to life again. So seeing God's children live out the resurrection in their own life, well, he's not gonna like it, but he fears it because he's been there. He's been defeated by death once and for all. So he's like been there, done that, but he may walk around with power, but he has no authority. So he's gonna try, but you need to know this. He's got no authority where the children of God are concerned, but he will fight it. So don't think for a second that he won't try to capitalize on any opportunity that he has. And so he uses what I'm gonna call dead leg. So I don't know if you know this term, or maybe I just went to a middle school with a lot of like not nice people. But um, if you did live through the middle school or junior high school years, um, does anyone, can you just, if you know dead leg? Okay, some of you do. Well, if you don't, um, it's where someone comes behind you. Like you're just walking strongly and someone can come behind you and they can tap the back of your knee. They just give it a little tap and you collapse. Like you, just, you just fall right to the floor because it comes out of nowhere. An otherwise strong walk can be taken out by the tiniest tap. It comes seemingly out of nowhere and it can render you powerless and you fall to the floor. So why, do I, why am I calling this like the enemy's scheme? Why, why do I think the enemy actually uses dead leg? Because in a second, it puts you in the same state you'd been at before you began to walk with that limp, without that limp, before your renovation. Like for a second, you're on the floor and you're like, whoa, am I there again? You're actually not. He's just trying real hard to remind you of where you've been. And I think the enemy has these schemes. He's not creative, by the way. He, he will use the same thing again and again. In fact, um, whatever the, stronghold, the strongholds are or might be in your life, that's probably where he's gonna come to try to sneak attack. He knows where those weak points are and he's gonna come knocking on the door of those old lies every time. He isn't creative, but he is effective. But he doesn't have to be. Um, I, know this, I know this because he's done this with me. Like even in the past year and a half, when all my friends started fleeing the city after COVID and I lost the most consequential mentor in my life up to that point, don't think for a second the devil didn't say to me, hey, where are your friends? Where did they go? This looks familiar, doesn't it? Do you really want to start over? I thought this was your gift. I thought you got community back. But do you want to know the great news is that now I know he has no authority and he's very easily defeated. Amen? He's easily defeated. I'm going to tell you how he's defeated. He's defeated with truth. We know this because of Jesus's experience. Um, Satan tried to dead like Jesus right before he began his ministry and Jesus is fasting. Satan, Satan kind of taunts him. He kind of teases him in the same way I felt he te was teasing me. Hey, you hungry? You must be starving. Do you want to turn these stones to bread? You could do it. Man can't live on bread alone. We said it this morning. Man can't live on bread alone from the very word of God. Every time Satan came at Jesus, Jesus came back at Satan with the scriptures, with the truth of God. 
hey, where are your friends at? There's a church down your block with some people you know that'd be so much easier. But last year, as elders, we knew, uh, I would say a year and a half ago, when we knew this transition was coming before anyone else did, I felt like God gave me a scripture from Isaiah 43. And I want to read it from this and not my script because this, this page has tear stains on it from going back again and again and saying, you promised this. And it was from Isaiah 43, and he says, remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs, now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? <laughs> so when Satan comes at me with those, oh, do you really wanna do not? Think on the former things. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it, Satan? Because we're starting to. We're starting to. And just, I just want to ask something, if you would be bold enough. If you have come to this church in the last year and a half, would you raise your hand? <laughs> you are the new thing. Now I can't see any of my scripture. You're the new thing. You're the new thing that we were waiting for. So when Satan tries to come at you, maybe, maybe those of you who have felt like the leftovers, felt like where have my people gone? He's doing a new thing and it's springing up. And it's springing up. You gotta fight it with truth. And you gotta fight it with scripture. So I'm gonna circle back to our teaching text because you're gonna find out what happens when you do meditate on that scripture. It says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on this law, he meditates day and night. And then he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. And all he does, he prospers. I love that at the end of every service for the benediction, we've been saying um, this memory verse together with the children. I break down almost every time. But I'm so glad we're doing it as a church because as, as this series started, it was on my heart that I felt like God was calling us to know his word. Because if we're gonna know him, we have to know what he says. We have to know the things that he says and the words that he's given us. And so I love that after this series ends, whenever we find ourselves sort of in the position of maybe being accused by the enemy, we can say, I don't know, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And the little ones are gonna have it too. And taking, oh, well, let me back up a little bit. So, so as I come to land, I was just thinking like, God, what do you wanna invite us to today? What's your invitation for us? And first is, he can't heal what's hidden. So the son had to make that long journey back to the father, but if he'd not made the long journey back and revealed himself to the father, well, there would have been no party or ring or cloak. So if there's something that we're just like, oh, I just gotta clean this up. I just, I just, I don't know if I'm ready yet. 
You can't heal what's hidden, and he wants it. And just remember, it is not about our nature. It's about God's. And so today, if, if you feel like um, there, there is something you just need to bring, that you want to, you want to surrender, I've, I've read somewhere surrender changes everything, and I've lived it too. I mean, we're going to have a time of ministry where people will come and will pray for you, or you can kneel at these rugs just as an act of saying, God, here, here, here I am in my, in my, in like my completeness. David didn't, didn't wait to clean anything up. He gave his whole vulnerable self, his whole complete self, so I think he could be healed wholly and completely. And I think God wants to heal today. I think he also wants to break some shame. I think if, if where you've been, there's been shame that has felt like it's just calcified in your own heart and you need it broken off, I think he wants to meet you here today. And so we're gonna invite you to come up. So would you just stand as we pray? God, thank you so much that this is the new thing that you're doing. That you are a man of your word, that you keep your promise, that you who call us, you're faithful. I thank you that you've been faithful to this church. I thank you, thank you that you've been faithful to those who've been here and thank you that you've led others to us now. So Spirit, we invite you to do the work that you are best at, breaking chains, comforting, bringing back, restoring. I pray that as people leave here today, they leave with a little less of a limp than the one they came in with. Thank you for your healing power, our Jehovah Rapha. In Jesus' name, and just stay standing for a second, but I... Just want to ask um, for courage, just like surrender, courage changes a lot too. And so if you felt any part um, of your heart, if you just felt like that tingle like Tip was talking about, or you felt like your heart pounding today, or you just something like the Spirit has spoken to, I believe He's speaking to some people right now. I'm just going to ask you just to lift your hands, just like palms open as a symbol that you're, you are willing to receive the restoration and healing God has. And then I'm gonna ask you for another step that as we begin our ministry time that you make your way to the front. You just spend some time with God because he is desperate. He cannot hold himself back. <laughs>